You have a Bible? Please open it up over to Genesis chapter 1 today. God, your family, and you. This is part seven of our series. God, your family, and you. Now, you might say, well, you know, I don't have a family. It doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes. These things, there's biblical principles here that apply. As a matter of fact, you may learn today, or start learning today, may be part of the reason you're the way you are. Interesting thought. That kind of locks in everybody, doesn't it? Because we're all something, and uh, we're all some way on that. But before we get to that, kind of interesting, you know, there are, church has an incredibly important purpose, but there are funny things that take place sometimes at church, and some of those things have to do with children. And a certain church in one of its publications revealed some answers given to church church school questions by children. In other words, in the Sunday school and so forth, and in, in their uh, a private school, the Christian school, there were some questions that came up. I've just taken a few of the answers because of time, all right? The question was asked, what was Noah's wife's name? Okay, Noah, the great man of faith in the Old Testament book of Genesis, what was his wife's name? One student said, oh, that's easy. Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. Another was asked, what is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is to humor your mother and father. All right. Uh, Not quite right on that. This is a great one. Who was Lot's wife? Here's the answer, and I quote, Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. (laughs) And then last but not least, one little girl said, quote, a Christian can have only one wife. That is called monotony. You get the idea. On a little bit more serious note, Duke of Wellington visited our nation and uh, he was asked, what about the people in America? What do you think of them? And he said this, he said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. The way parents obey their children. Could that maybe be part of the problem we have in society today? The truth of it is this, there's probably nothing that moves people emotionally more than thinking about or talking about their children, okay? For some people, this brings great joy. For others, it brings sorrow. For some, it brings great fear. For some, it brings defensiveness, defensiveness. As we go through this, it is not my desire to discourage anyone as we start this section of our family series. Now, let me say that again. What we're going to be covering, it's not my desire to discourage anybody. It's my desire to encourage you by giving you tools and truth that will be a blessing and benefit to your children and having your children turn out right. Let me say clearly, though, that no parent has ever done everything right. No parent has ever done everything right. Some parents have only learned of God's ways too late in the process to really do a whole lot about the situation, such as getting saved later in life. Well, your kids are older, they're already locked in, and it's going to be hard to change that. Now, it takes place sometimes, but it has to be, uh, the only way that's going to happen is for miraculous change to take place that is just undeniable. Others have had some success. Some have had great success, but many others simply don't believe God's ways or they're lazy or they're afraid of their children. Afraid 
of their children. And let me say this, all parents go into parenting never having done it before. I've heard people say, well, you know, no, I'm not married and I don't have kids, but you know, I've worked in, I've worked in a nursery, so I know how to raise kids. <laughs> Dear friend, with all due respect, you don't know what you're talking about. It's a whole different issue when those children are yours and you're with them 24-7 or, or being responsible, okay? No, all parents go into parenting never having done it before. And that's one of the reasons it's so difficult. And that's why mistakes are made. And that's why uh, there can be such heartache and tension and, and all these kind of things. But let me say this, in light of scripture, if you do your part successfully and faithfully, God will do his part. Now listen, and I know this is a controversial statement for me to make. And as I go through, there are people who are maybe going to come to church and hear this, or people who are going to hear us on the radio or internet. The point is this, people are going to hear what I'm going to say during this series. And sad to say, there are Bible, quote unquote, Bible believing Christians who will balk at what we're going to cover, who will reject what I'm going to cover. And yet what I'm going to cover is right out of the pages of scripture. Dear friend, listen, one of the foundational principles we covered at the very beginning of this series about there needs to be salvation, there needs to be dedication, there needs to be that third one, absolute faith in the word of God, absolute faith in the word of God. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian, do you have absolute faith in this book? Okay. Or do we have absolute faith in our opinions? How humble are we? How teachable? are we? To where if we hear something that goes against what we've always thought, we don't reject it. What we do is we go to the scriptures and say, is this true? Is this what the Bible says? If it is what the Bible says, then I need to change the way I'm doing things and embrace the word of God. That is what God honors, by the way. He honors his word above his own names, the scripture tell us. Now in Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish or fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Do you see that in verse 28? Now, by the way, God's command to them to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, the only way that that could take place is if he had created them male and female. So keep that in mind in light of the pressure and move in our country today about quote-unquote homosexual marriage. Biblically speaking, there is no such thing. Biblically speaking. Now, this issue, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. While there are exceptions to this, in other words, people who are not married or people who are married but can't have children, and there are plenty of those, by the way, out there, and our hearts go out to them. So while there are exceptions, as we have seen, one of the purposes of marriage, according to these verses, is to have children. Procreation. It's not the only one, but it is one. And as we have seen, God desires, listen now, here we go. You ready? You're sitting down? You got your seatbelt buckled? God desires every home to be a Christian home because Jesus Christ is God and he is the one who ordained the family and he wants the family to be according to his pattern. Which families? Every family. 
Well, what about other religions? He wants every family to be a Christian home. Does that mean that homes that aren't Christians, that they can't have reasonably good kids and so forth? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It, it, they can. But you know what happens sometimes, folks? People are following biblical principle without even knowing they're following biblical principle. Did you know that? That's why there are times when you'll run into people who are not even saved, and yet their kids are sharp, respectful, well-controlled, and all of that. You might say, how does that happen? They're not, they're not even believers. It's because somebody gave them some truth based on scripture that they're practicing and God blesses his truth. God always honors his word. Now, God desires every home to be a Christian home. It is a parent's responsibility to train up their children for Christ, for Christ. Now, again, what I'm going to be covering here is going to be a challenge to each and every one. But let me say this, dear friend, it is simply what the Bible says about these truths. And God has a very deep interest in your family. Did you know that? Very deep interest. He wants your family to be like he has planned it to be. He has a plan. Look at Psalm 127. It says in verse three, children, by the way, are not a curse. Countries like China who have a limit on how many children you can have, not choose to have, but can have, okay? That is absolutely evil. It is against the word of God. And by the way, if it's against the word of God, it's evil. Friend, listen, the Bible sees children as a blessing, not a curse. In Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Lo, children are in heritage. In other words, they're an inheritance of the Lord or from the Lord. This word heritage is translated so many times as inheritance in Scripture. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his what? Reward, not curse. So how do, let's start at the beginning. How do you view your children? Oh, I can't wait till they're gone. Well, friend, I might understand what you're saying by that. In other words, you want them to grow up, be responsible, and get on their own. That's a good thing, by the way, and that's biblical. But if you just consider them pests and in your hair or messing up your life or your agenda or your career, you've got some attitude check problems there that have to be dealt with because that's not how God sees them. God sees them as a blessing from his hand. You notice the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So let's start breaking this down. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, number 1. What is the goal or what is the biblical goal of parenting? What is the biblical goal of parenting? Have you ever thought about that? Most people would say or think something like this, easy, endurance. <laughs> I just want to endure my kids until they're gone. And then, whew, great, good, go live your life, okay? Well, is that the biblical goal of parenting? No, but you know what? What I'm going to share with you, listen, parents, you get a hold of this, and I'm saddened we don't have more of our parents here today. You get a hold of this, it can change your life. It can change your family. You'll never hit a target if you don't know what it is. God has a purpose for your family. God has a purpose for your children. 
What is the biblical goal of parenting? Here you go. The biblical goal in parenting is for our children to grow up to not only be saved, but godly and dedicated believers who love and serve Christ. Let me say it again. The biblical goal of parenting is for our children to grow up to be not only saved, not only believers, but godly and dedicated believers who love and serve Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, okay? Value them, esteem them, consider them precious. That's what the word honor means here. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Verse 4, you fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, anger, but instead bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We start seeing the purpose here of parenting, okay? Notice in verse 4, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, let me say this. And this is counterculture, even in conservative America. It is not enough for your children to simply grow up and, quote unquote, keep their nose clean. All right? Lost people can do that. Do you hear me, Christian? Lost people can do that. And those lost people, if they grow up and all they are is moral people, and listen, I would rather have them moral than immoral. (laughs) We all would, right? We don't want our children to be immoral. We want them to be moral, but it's more than moral that we are shooting for when it comes to family. You see, lost people can grow up and be moral, but if they die without Jesus Christ, they'll be lost forever in a literal hell. That can happen, and it happens all the time. What was accomplished in that life? Now, it's great that they turn out moral, but really, in the end, what is accomplished if they're not even saved? There's a lot of moral people who are lost. Now, listen, while we cannot make them trust Christ and then grow up to serve him, we as parents must do all we can in a balanced and biblical way to help them to trust Christ and to help them once they're saved to grow up and serve the Lord with their life. Trusting Christ is a personal decision. I get that. As well as a saved person deciding he is going to live his life for Christ. I get that too. But nevertheless, the parents have a profound impact in this area in the life of a child. Don't have the idea of, I recently heard one parent, well, I'm raising my child at this point to be an agnostic, basically. I don't want to talk them into trusting Christ. I want them to discover it on their own. Friend, do you understand this? If your children are at the age of accountability... Once they get to the age of accountability, they are separated from God. God holds that, in a sense, against them. The wrath of God abides on them, okay? Now listen, I am not talking, don't misunderstand me, I am not talking about pressuring them to agree with you. That's not salvation. I am talking about, though, doing everything you can to get them to understand the gospel and trust Christ the Savior. Can you make them believers? No. Listen, there are no grandchildren in the family of God. 
Everyone is either a child of God or not a child of God. But do we believe what God says? See, trusting Christ is a personal decision. Look with me to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. It says this, powerful verse, powerful verse. Now remember, you'll never hit the target unless you know what it is. God wants us to train up the next generation for him. That begins with salvation. Now, we have three daughters. All three of them trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We didn't make them. You can't make a person a believer. It's an issue of the heart. But you reason with them. You share the gospel with them. You answer their questions about it. You give them the truth of God. And the Holy Spirit honors that and is working in the life and convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then they see their need, and then you have the privilege, either you as a parent or the church, somebody in the church has the privilege of leading that child to Christ. And once they're saved, they're saved forever. But it was their decision. And by the way, God does honor childlike faith. Matter of fact, that's what he's even looking for in adults. Revelation 4.11, it says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. That includes you and me. That includes our children. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We want to teach our children, you were created, you were made to bring glory to God. That's the purpose of your life. You were made to bring glory to God. Now, you can't do anything with your life until you've trusted Christ as your Savior. And once you've trusted Christ as Savior, whether you live a successful Christian life or not, you're still saved because you can't be lost once you're saved. But see, this idea of we have been created to bring pleasure to the Lord, the whole purpose we were allowed to come into the world is so we would bring honor and glory to him with our lives and with our being. That, folks, that is so very counterculture today. To think of our children as being given to us to bring glory to God is a completely foreign concept to most people, including Christians. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't know what that means. And the truth of it is, it sounds weird to them. Now, if it sounds weird to you, it's because you probably never heard it before and you've never really looked at the Bible as the Bible is. Because if I was created to bring glory to God, my children have been created to bring glory to God. It's our Christian school here, Northland Christian School, 30 years We've been doing the same thing. And you know what it is? Now, educating children, not only in academics, but spiritually. And we are teaching them from preschool through high school. The purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. You want life purpose? That's it. You know, some parents love to brag about how much money their grown-up kids are making. Or that their grown-up kids are doctors and lawyers. Nothing wrong with doctors and lawyers, by the way. Nothing wrong with that. And if that's where God wants you, that's what you should do. Again, nothing wrong with that. But here's the issue. That's not the priority. Not according to God. Let me ask you this. What about their lives in relation to Jesus Christ? They may be successful in the world, but are they, number one, are they even saved? Listen, you can die with millions of dollars and you're not taking it with you. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you have Christ, that's worth more than anything else. Anything else. Aren't you glad, by the way, that God offers salvation to everybody? Rich, poor, handsome, ugly, beautiful, ugly, thin, not so thin. 
young, old, doesn't matter. God offers salvation as a gift, bought and paid for through the blood of Christ. See, one of the main reasons the world is in the condition it is today is that generation after generation has failed to fulfill God's way of training and raising children. Okay? This young man who killed all these children at this school, first and foremost, it is a breakdown of the family. Okay? First and foremost, the parents did not do their job in the life of that children. You might say, well, well, how about, though, maybe the parents weren't saved. How were the parents going to lead the children to Christ if they didn't even know Christ themselves? Good question. Guess what? Their parents failed. And their parents failed. And their parents failed. And you've got generation on generation on generation who don't know Christ don't even want to know Christ. And then we wonder when society breaks down and violence erupts, people have the audacity to say, where's God in all this? Listen, he's there, but he doesn't go where he's not invited. Okay? If you don't want him in your life, he's not going to force himself in. And if the education system doesn't want him in it, he won't force himself in. It is a heartbreaking tragedy what happened in Florida. And not only does it trouble us, imagine how it troubles their families. And some of those families, folks, have no idea of what I've been talking about so far this morning. Listen, I'm not trying to pile on in any way, shape, or form. My heart goes out to them. But it all comes back to an either an ignorance or a rejection of God's way. One of the, our presidents in the past, I don't remember which one, he said something to the effect of this, the answer to the violence in our country is to train them in the high chair before they get to the point where they face the electric chair. Number two, you cannot have a truly Christian home without it being a Christian. Isn't that simple? You cannot have a truly Christian home without being a Christian. Now, let me explain that. What does that mean? A lot of people around the world, they say, oh, that's easy. A Christian, somebody lives their life according to the Bible. No, that doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian. What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who, who has understood they cannot save themselves. They cannot get themselves to heaven by their good works. Yet they understand they're a sinner. They understand they're lost. They understand they need a savior. And yet the truth of scripture is you can't save yourself. Now look up here. Let me, let me illustrate this. This hand representing you and me. See, the Bible says this in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This hand representing you and me and this wallet representing our sin. God says we're all sinners. All of us are sinners. Yet the Bible says God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. You see, sin separates us from God. Heaven is a perfect place. You have to be without sin to get into heaven. That's what the Bible says. God says, because we've sinned, there's a penalty. There's a payment that goes with that. The wages of sin being death. We'd be lost forever, separated from God in hell. God doesn't want that for any of us. Now you notice it says the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of sin. You don't pay for your sin by going to church, being water baptized, trying to live a good life, okay? Trying to obey even the laws of the Bible and the principles in the Bible. Turning from sin, trying to make promises or bargain with God, trying to keep the commandments. None of those things 
are the payment for sin. The payment for sin, the wages of sin is death. A death payment must be made. Either you are going to have to do it, or the good news is somebody's already done it for you, and if you accept the payment he made, that payment he made is good on your behalf. This is the good news. See, the Bible puts it this way. Here we are as sinners. We could never save ourselves because God loves us so much. He said, I'm going to come take on flesh myself. I will enter the human race in time space. And that person was the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, sinless. And when Jesus went to the cross, he came to pay for our sin. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus has paid for all of your sins. Did you know that? He's paid for them all. He died, was buried, and rose from the grave three days later. He tells us in his word that if you will put your faith in him, not in yourself, but in him, he will save you forever from hell to heaven. You're saved by something called grace, God's unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor, friend. Look, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says this, and look at it with me on the screen. For by grace are ye saved. For by grace are you saved. Through what? Faith. Not works. Not good deeds. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Gifts are free. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't have a Christian home until you're a Christian. Now, how do you become a Christian? By simply trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The word Christian means a Christ one. One who belongs to Christ. When you trust Christ the Savior, you now belong to him. You're now a child of God. Now you're a Christian. And when you become a Christian, God the Holy Spirit comes to live within your body. And God gives you a new nature whereby we can understand and we can, as Christians, live the Christian life. Do you have to live the Christian life to get to heaven? No, that would be works. You trust Christ as your Savior to get to heaven. But once you're saved, should you live a Christian life? Yes. Yes. That's where it fits. That's where life comes together. And that's why, where you see the blessings of God. So we as believers should serve not to be saved, not to stay saved, not to even prove we're saved. We serve because simply we are saved and we're responding to how generous God has been to us in saving us. Yet some parents will say this and they think it's something good. Well, we'll raise our children the way mom and dad did with us. Well, that may be good or it may be bad. And the truth of it is, it's usually a mixed bag. And by the way, nowadays, it's more bad than good. It used to be more good than bad. Now it's more bad than good. Friend, you don't raise your children the way your parents raised you. You raise your children according to the word of God. Now praise God for every family that's got a biblical Christian heritage. Praise God for that. And, and you have learned things growing up in that godly Christian home that are going to benefit you for the rest of your life. And that is a wonderful thing. And we'll say much about that in the future in this series. But listen, this is an incredibly important issue. You raise your children according to the principles of God's word, not according to your opinion. 
Years ago, I remember talking to a neighbor, one of the, uh, one of the neighborhoods we lived in, was talking to the man behind our house, and he was noticing uh, our, our three daughters. And uh, we were talking about kids, and he was talking about grandkids, and then he started talking about his own. And, and he was a lost man, and I didn't expect him to have all the answers. But he, he said this, he said, well, he says, I, when it comes to raising kids, he says, you just do the best you can, hope for the best. He had no answers. He was well-intentioned. But listen, what if he does the best he can? Amen to that. Okay, good. Good for you. What if you try to do what's right, but you don't know what's right? You're going by your opinion or your feelings. And you do raise your kids. And they do. They are responsible, okay? They're on their own and they've got a good job or whatever. And they live their whole life and they grow up from young to middle age to old. And they die. And if they die without Christ, what was accomplished in that life? They're lost forever. You can't have a Christian home unless you're a Christian. Number three, we are entrusted with our children to train them in a biblical way so that they will bring glory to God. I know I've already touched on this, but it's so important. See, we need to remember, folks. Now, here's one that that bristles some folks. (laughs) We need to remember that our children do not belong to us, but to God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Everything in this world belongs to him. Your children were given to you as a stewardship from God. Now that doesn't mean it's wrong to get attached to your children. We ought to be attached to our children. They ought to mean a lot to us, but they don't belong to us. They belong to God because we love our kids and have brought them into the world. Oftentimes we lose sight of the fact that they belong to God. But remember, God is the one who created them and us. And he knows how we are to function according to his word. He's the one who wired us. He designed us and he knows what works best. And he says, I want you to do it my way, my way. He also knows, by the way, what works. You cannot improve on the ways of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you know. I don't care how many letters are after your name. You cannot improve on the ways of God. God is the almighty one. God is the all-wise one. God is the all-knowing one. God is the one who is immutable. God is the one who never makes mistakes. And we fail on every one of those fronts. And then we are going to reject what God says about this issue of family? That's foolishness. Back to Ephesians chapter 6. It says again in verse 4, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are to do all we can to lead our children and to train them in the direction of Jesus Christ. We should do nothing in our actions and attitudes to hinder that as parents. Listen, we are responsible for how we train our children. Do we get it? God's going to hold us responsible for that. The word nurture, by the way, means the discipline. The word admonition means to put in the mind. The word discipline, the biblical word disciple is related to this. So we are to disciple our children and we are to put in their mind the word of God. This is part of what it means to have a Christian home. And by the way, if there's one thing the government hates, it's that. It is a constant war going on and trying to stifle Christians from raising their children up according to the word of God. The government wants 
to raise your children. The government, by the way, thinks they own your children. Did you know that? Oh, they are going to protect your children from you. Now, listen, I'm not saying, uh, listen, there are times when children are being abused and those children do need to be protected. And we are all for that, by the way. But when it comes to training them up according to scripture, government, I got a word for you, back off. Those children don't belong to you. First and foremost, those children belong to God, and therefore we are to do it according to the way God says. When we do not train them correctly, they are going to be provoked to wrath or anger. Have you ever noticed how many young people are angry today? Angry. Angry. You hear it in the music. You see it in the styles. You see it in the behavior. You see it what they do at schools. Why are they so angry? Well, because they have been let down, because they're frustrated, because they are out of control and they don't know why, because they do not know the right way, because their parents have never learned to begin with. And how can their parents teach them the right way if they don't know it themselves? It's a breakdown. It's an unraveling of society. Remember this. Uh, well, I want you to see it. Look at Proverbs 29 with me. Proverbs 29 in verse 15. See, the Bible says this, a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. A child left to himself. In other words, that's you saying, I'm just going to let my child navigate through life on their own. No, you can't do that. That's not right. You have a responsibility. Now, as we go through the series, by the way, yes, proper parenting will result in you giving more control of the life of your child over to your child as they earn it, as they grow up and show themselves responsible. Your control of them goes down and they are instead exhibiting self-control. But it's all within the right parameters. The rod and reproof, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. See, we could talk about how to train up godly children forever. But very, very quickly here at the end of this message, I want to give you what I believe are I teach it all the time, four pillars or four practices that if done effectively, God will honor his word in this area and I believe your children will turn out. It's just like these four practices, it's, it's like they're four legs on a table. You know, if you had a table and one of the legs is shorter than the other, you would have a mess. And by the way, it doesn't have to be shorter by much, right? Have you ever been to a restaurant, you sit down and you sit down at a table and you push down and it's like, like that, and you're sitting there and you just touch the table and it goes like this, the drinks spill a little bit, and you're thinking, boy, this is, this is a mess. You know, your first thought, let's move to another table. Why? Because it's such an irritant. So many homes today are irritating places to be. Why? Because there's no stability. Why? Because things are not being done right and there's no balance and there's no rightness, firmness. It's the scripture that brings the firmness, okay? I've seen plenty of parents who have been very strict disciplinarians whose children turn out to be rebellious. Why? You might say, well, isn't that the key, you know? Uh, strict disciplinarian? It's not the whole thing. Yes, there is a way to discipline. We'll talk about it. But why does that happen? Well, because the parents don't interpret situations in context or they are totally rigid and they're not doing things in balance with the other principles. As a result, a child or the children give up trying to please the parents because they're frustrated because nothing they do is ever right. 
So they give up. They give up. Let me give these to you very quickly. The first one is this. We're going to break this down in the weeks to come in detail, okay? The first one is this. Unconditional love. Now, what does that mean? This is loving your child no matter what they do. Now, listen. This does not mean that you approve and love all that they do, but you love them in spite of it. Now, let me explain this. See, love is seeking the highest good for another person. So if you love your children, you're seeking the highest good for them. In other words, what you're going to do is if you love them, you're going to do all you can to get them to go in the right direction. See, the biggest obstacle to this is our own selfishness and self-centeredness as parents. We just simply want what's many times convenient for us, and we don't necessarily act in our child's best interest. We act in our best interest. No, love is seeking the highest good for another person. Love is not excusing everything they do or saying it's okay when it is not okay. That's not love. That's not love. Love is also doing what is best for them at all time, even when it is not convenient for you. Love is doing what is best for them even when they don't realize it is best for them. You're the parent. You love them by doing what's best for them. This is shown in many ways, including tough love when necessary. And by the way, this issue of love includes all the other three pillars that are under that, okay? Such as discipline. And we don't have time to cover all the verses. We'll do it in the future. But uh, you can see them on your study sheep. Look them up when you get it at home. I just said study sheep. Study sheep. <laughs> okay. The second one. First one's unconditional love. The second one, firm, consistent discipline. This includes spanking, verbal instruction, and rebuke, and encouragement for good character. Okay? It's not any one of these alone. It's all of these combined because the word discipline means to train to train up, to disciple. Number three, godly biblical instruction. You are teaching them the word of God through family time together and also real life situations, which by the way is probably the most effective way to teach them the word of God. Real life situations. You go to the grocery store, you have an opportunity, okay, to do the right thing or something happens, you can discuss that when you get home or when you get in the car, okay, or you're on a trip and something comes up and you're having family time talking and you're discipling your children in a natural way. Wow, what an impact that has. So godly biblical instruction. Fourth, godly parental example. In other words, us as parents living the right kind of life. Your children will get the idea of what is important in life by watching you and what is important in your life. What's important in their minds, they learn that from watching. One man said this, children are like wet cement. Whatever falls on them makes an impression. Great truth, great truth. Friend, we do reap what we sow. If you do it God's way, God blesses. If you don't do it God's way, you don't get the blessing of God. We need to be parenting on purpose. We need to be parenting according to the word of God. God has given us so much information and truth when it comes to our families, folks. We need to be embracing it and accepting it. Now, let me close with this today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, earlier in the message I talked about how to become a Christian, how to be saved, how to escape spending forever in hell, 
and spending forever with God in heaven. And it is simply by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you do that today? Would you do that today? If you have any questions over what I covered today, please feel free to come ask me. I don't want you to misunderstand anything. What we're covering in the world's eyes is very controversial. Do you know what? God's never backed down from that, has he? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.